Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Hey everybody, it's me, it's Edwin, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Business Leadership Podcast. Episode 30, I'm really excited to share the conversation I had with Paul Struthers, the Executive Vice President and Managing Director at Sage Canada. Before working at Sage, Paul spent 15 years at global software solutions company Amdocs, and prior to this managed the ERP consulting practice at RSA Companies, where he also led and supported over 20 projects for small and mid-sized businesses in the U.S. and Canada. Paul and I discussed how to successfully transition from one organization to another, what he learned working within a consulting capacity, and how to effectively motivate large teams. Before getting started, many thanks to my media partner, IT World Canada, for their support of the podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Paul. Thanks for having me, Evan. Well, no, I'm really excited, especially sitting here in the brand new office right downtown Toronto. But let's let's start off by introducing yourself, Paul, to the listeners, perhaps who may not know you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you like to do when you're not when you're not growing and leading businesses. <laughs> Great. Well, that takes up a lot of my time uh, leading the business here at Sage. Where I joined Sage actually yesterday was exactly one one year. One year anniversary. Happy so, anniversary. Thank you. If we weren't build a busy opening a new office, maybe we would have had a cake or something like that. But it's been a fun year. I'm the executive vice president, managing director for Sage Canada. So my whole reason for being is, you know, driving the business across all facets for Canada. Uh, I live west of the city, a small town called Carlisle. So I have a new office here in Toronto and taking the go train in. Uh, four kids, boy and three girls, awesome wife, amazing kids. Uh, they keep me going. Um, and what I like to do outside of work when I'm not, you know, focused on uh, Team Canada here at Sage, you know, doing stuff with the family, whether that's, you know, biking, uh, swimming, I like to play squash, I like to golf, love to ski. So we have a big office and a big team out in Vancouver area in Richmond. So I was lucky enough to go skiing out there this winter. Great, great snow year out there. Although I think they disagree that it was so much fun having all that snow. So yeah, I like to treat, try to keep active and love traveling. I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of travel throughout my career. So uh, those are some. that's who I am, a little bit of what makes me tick in two minutes or less. I love it. I love it. And, and you get the best of both worlds uh, working here in the, in the GTA and, and, and getting out to Vancouver a lot. So let's, let's, let's start off with, with a lot of your time. You, you mentioned your EVP or the country manager, managing director of Canada at Sage. Um, so I'd like to discuss, first off, your current role and perhaps what your current mission is or your goals uh, come into the end of this year or even next year. So interesting, I, I, when I came into Team Canada, we kind of set a theme for ourselves this year, you know, going for gold. Um, so we, we like to have a lot of fun with the team. Uh, we like to keep it real. Um, but we're also very ambitious and you can be ambitious and still have a lot of, a lot of fun while you're doing it. So what I mean by going for gold, going for the gold medal, you know, winning a spot on the podium, we've been using that picture of Sidney Crosby when he won the golden goal, scored the golden goal, sorry, in the Vancouver Olympics out in 2010, which really resonates with the local team there. And that means, you know, being number one in the eyes of our customers, being number one in the champion for our business builders in Canada, owned for cloud accounting, but also, you know, working to be, you know, the, 
the leading growth market within the Sage universe. But uh, Gold Medal has many dimensions. It's with our partners, with our accountants and bookkeepers that are also key partners for us, with our customers delivering the best experience we can, and for our colleagues and for the communities that we volunteer a lot of time with as well. So going for gold touches a lot of uh, a lot of themes, and that's really our mission for not just this year, but the next several years. We wanna we wanna be the leader in every facet. Did you bring that the, that vision of gold when you when you came into the role? Yeah, I thought it, I, I had the opportunity to. It was uh, quite a lengthy recruitment process. And I had a chance to do some visit with the team uh, when I did sign on to go down to Sage Summit in Chicago, which was would have been in uh, 16 there um, in July and get to, to learn a bit about the organization. But I've always been pretty ambitious and the teams have been ambitious. So, you know, what else are we shooting for if we're not shooting to be the, the best in the for our customers and the best in what we do with our team and the results that we deliver? So, yeah, and then I did a little bit of thinking of, you know, what might uh, – if it's Team Canada responsible, which is great because having a Canada responsibility, being a Canadian, although I've uh, had roles and lived around the world, is uh, very exciting to sort of kind of put a theme around things. Themes tend to work, and, you know, gold medal is something that uh, – that seems to resonate with everybody. So yeah, it kind of came to me quickly when we uh, started talking to the team. You came in after a long career, 15 years at Amdocs, where, where you held a very similar role before you came here. So I'm really interested to know, and if you could share, after being in an organization for a long time, how did you manage the transition from going from Amdocs to a new organization like Sage Canada? Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks for reminding me that it was 15 years. It's, it seemed like, <laughs> seemed like it was a blip, but, um, you know, uh, the transition is never easy, but I had a lot of the reason I joined, uh, Sage was my predecessor, Nancy Harris, uh, amazing woman, amazing leader and talked a lot with her as part of, uh, deciding to join Sage. And she's a large region that I was here. And so was the team who I got to meet several members of. So the transition would not, I found the transition to be quite Quite smooth, actually. Um, I had a great team to draw upon. I went out and I did a lot of listening and learning from the team, met as many people as possible uh, from every level within the organization, from Nancy, from other leaders across Sage, from every team member in the group, and tried to listen with two ears and talk with one mouth. We have them in that proportion. We should probably use them that way. And really just kind of uh, understood what's working. Sometimes people will come in and want to blow up. What's where you put their own stamp on things, uh, but learn that a lot of things were working pretty well, and with some tweaks that could work even better. Some things we needed to do some more wholesale change to, some adjustments to, um, but it really helped me with the support of the team to understand quickly where we needed to focus, and then we were able to kind of dive right in and just get to work. Um, so yeah, and I think a lot of the experiences I had, at, at, even though I was at quite some time at Amdocs, it was like multiple careers. The role I had for over four years, I think, before I joined Sage was similar, running the P&L for the major business in, in Canada, which, you know, had groups in India and Israel and all over the world supporting us. But I did uh, many different roles, lived overseas with Amdocs, uh, every role of marketing, product management, product marketing, market intelligence, strategy, competitive work, uh, traveled extensively with those different roles, built the regional marketing groups, all those sort of experiences like puzzle pieces that go together and kind of set you up for a GM type responsibility in Canada was not, it did not feel foreign. A lot of it felt fi some fi uh, familiar challenges. Uh, and with the support of the team was able to kind of jump in and you, know, you don't get anything done without the team. So everybody rallied behind and we had a mission. We had a vision. Uh, Nancy did a great job of putting the framework in place and I was able to build off something that was already really, really good. 
And so the mission was to make it even better. It wasn't like I was going into something disastrous or something you had to rebuild from scratch or blow up. It was uh, going from a good place. It's a great team is there. And we put some new team members in place and, and twig the things where uh, they need to improve. And, and away we go. We're now the uh, fastest growing developed market at Sage here in Canada. So you were, you were heavily recruited. And you mentioned you took over the role from Nancy. Um, when you came in, was she part of the transition as well, or did she? Absolutely, yeah. So, how long was that transition, and and how did it look like? I know you talk, you mentioned talking to all the team members, see what needs to do. You didn't need to blow things up, and there was a lot of focus. When did you really feel comfortable in realizing, okay, this is my this is my organization? Mm-hmm. I think from day one, and you know, Nancy was a great support, but so was the rest of the group. You know, you have to, in a business like this, you have to dive in and understand how all the numbers, as you well know as an entrepreneur, how all the uh, numbers work and where all the different uh, revenue drivers are and how the team's structured and where the issues are and where, you know, growth might not be where you want it to be for whatever reasons. But, you know, Nancy's a hard driver as well in a, in a very, very positive way. So we transitioned for about 45 minutes and then we were. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Off and running. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, we spent a lot of time in the first week or so just diving into all the different facets of the business. But I did spend time before I actually officially joined on weekends in my spare time kind of talking to her, reading some reports and talking to other members of the organization. So I didn't come in cold on day one. And actually, what was interesting on day five, I think it was, we went over to the UK for a, a global executive meeting and I was actually presenting, you know, some of the pieces of the Canada strategy for the year to come. So I'm a believer and you just got to dive in and just roll up your sleeves and start to get to work. And you'll never, if you try to pre-plan it too much um, or analysis paralysis, you'll kind of get a little bit stuck. You got to kind of dive in, you know, learn as you go a little bit, learn the, the, the foundation to jump in, but then, you know, kind of do some of it on the fly because, uh, you know, the market's not going to wait for you to to spend six or nine months getting ramped up. And I would say I'm still doing some transition. I'm still learning something new every day, which is what keeps me going as well. It's really great having that support and that tradition. And, and I'm just curious, um, how did you provide um, the transition for when you when you left the role at Amdocs? Were you there to support as well and, and do that? Because it seems like you were fil- you were coming in and you were le- leaving a role vacant as well, or it was filled in as well at the same time. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something I really struggled with because I, I had a great team at Amdocs as well. And a lot of them are still close friends to this day. Um, I did spend a fair bit of time there. So uh, it's funny, actually, because I was t- speaking to my wife when uh, – I decided to take the new position. Maybe I should take some holiday in between. She says, you owe that team a lot. It'll be great to you. You're not taking any holiday. You can take holiday next year. So, so I didn't do any like break in between. I made sure I gave close to like a, a full eight week. Uh, I, I let my president know and the team know a couple months before I was going. And there were a lot of things we had in play that, that were pretty, pretty critical and sensitive. So I gave it a pretty, a pretty fair transition. And I've involved the, I was involved the team in a lot of what we do and pretty, pretty transparent in the way we work. Uh, so all the team members that were there knew everything that was going on as well. So I did do a, a pretty lengthy transition and then I'm always happy to if anything came. I still had a couple of customers calling me six months after I left with some things. So I'm always happy to, to support whatever needs to be supported after the fact, but yeah, tried to. Give it a fair shake for sure. Yeah, no, that's great. And you were able to see it from both sides uh, all at about the same time within your career, right? Yeah. So leaving, uh, providing support and coming in and ho- having that support come yeah. in. So it was, a, it was a double transition. It was a win-win for everyone at that. It can be a very small world, right? Like uh, 
I think you always want to operate with integrity and, and the trust that you build and uh, what you leave behind. Uh, as you know, in the tech business, I mean, you can run the people that you left behind can be with you in a very short period of time in some other capacities. So, hundred yeah. percent. Oh, what's really fascinates me and what I enjoy when I when I'm running this podcast and meeting meeting a lot of leaders, uh, executives is is how, how the changes and the transformation they had to do to get where they are today. So when I looked at your career, I can't I, obviously I can't imagine the amount of wealth that you've gone through being within organization and working with different industries from software service, telecom, consulting, manufacturing. So what would you say, Paul, was the biggest turning point in your career? It's a great question. There's probably lots of turning points, but the one that really, um, really did it for me was when I made the leap. I went, uh, I didn't give you the background of my career, but I was worked at Bell uh, as a, a student university. It was a bit of a sort of management incubation program. So I graduated university, went right into a management role after I was a technician at Bell. Uh, given the air slingshot, I was, uh, you know, installing phone, business phone lines and repairing home phone lines and everything else. And then went into a management position there and then went on to a business transformation project very quickly after that and was recruited away not too long after I graduated and just gotten married. And we just had our first child, my son. So he was really, really young. Um, and was recruited away by a consulting company, RSA. Uh, to go do projects down. They're a U.S.-based company, and the job would be going down and just getting initially consulting on a projects. They were ERP implementations or different systems implementations. Just get thrown into a project, and, you know, when you're on the clock with a customer who's paying your bills and paying for your hourly time, you have to deliver very quickly. Um, and then I was going to go and run projects for them. So deciding to very quickly after, you know, Graduate university, working, getting your first serious career, work, married, having having a child, and then go on and having to travel, travel, and take a risky position with a U.S. based company when you're based in Canada, and you're going to go into a project, and if you succeed as a consultant, you'll stay on that project, and you get into another project. You can't be on the benches, you know. Um, it, was, it was full of some risk at the time, so making that leap was a little bit daunting at the time, but uh, it was a decision I made with my wife. You know, we both went into it eyes open and, you know, I wouldn't change any of it because it was an awesome learning experience. So I feel like I got really hardened out in the field there. Like I said, you would have to go in and they would say, you know, here's the coffee machine, there's the bathroom. I'll expect that report by noon. And you just, you know, landed there at nine in the morning, right? So, uh, so yeah, I did a bunch of different consulting projects and then ran several projects from end to end on my uh, leading those projects with various teams. And it really uh, got to learn a lot from your customers, from the people you worked with, different nationalities, different backgrounds and experience, finance experts, manufacturing experts, technology experts, um, partners that we worked with and kind of took all that in. And, and it, uh, yeah, it really kind of showed me that you can adapt, learn, don't be afraid, you know, take on new risks. It will work out. Be passionate about it. Be energetic about it. Be open about the experience you're going to jump into. And, uh, yeah. I think if I was looking at a turning point, that would be it. It really set me on a great path. You spent a good part of your career at Amdocs, where it looks to me that you eventually grew as a leader there. That's where you 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 got your leadership skills. So as you changed roles, and it seems that obviously your team, your responsibilities would have changed as well. So how did you adjust and build yourself as an effective leader, as an effective leader within the organization and with yourself? I uh, know you got great questions today, Edwin. Um, I think it's, you know, listening is an important part. And I think maybe that comes from the, the consulting piece 
And I did grow up a lot as a leader at Amdocs, but I was fortunate enough to have that experience at Bell as a leader. And then when I was, you know, running projects as well, that helped me get started at Amdocs. But I think, you know, you're going to make mistakes going in and um, being flexible and adaptable. So as I was taking new roles or taking on new teams, if you're going into an existing organization, it's not often that you're perhaps building a new team. So you would have to be fitting into an existing team and trying to, you know, Really, and, and what was really interesting in Amdocs is you had like amazingly multicultural teams, right? So going and trying to figure out how to make things hum in a team that maybe already existed that had pre-existing, you know, behavioral norms or attitudes or things like that and saying, okay, well, here's our company strategy and objectives. Here's how that trickles down to what our group's objective is and how are you going to kind of, you know, quickly add value to that team. Otherwise, you're just another manager passing through, right? So, um, yeah. How did I adapt? It didn't always go as, as well as you wanted or as fast as you wanted. But I think just listening to the team, listening, learning from the people around you, learning from people that have been in those roles, talking to the people that have done those roles before, talking to your team members, your peers, and just kind of taking it all in and figuring out what needs to be done and don't boil the ocean all at once and, and focus on driving some early results and trust with the teams and that seemed to work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it sounds like it worked for sure. And one thing I, I found when I was looking into your career that you were responsible for a global marketing team across the world, five continents, over 18,000 employees. You had, I guess, uh, dealing with about 4 billion US in public software. So that's a lot to shoulder. So how did you manage that personally? Yeah, that was tricky. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't always easy because you'd have, you know, at one point we had someone and people in Australia and Singapore and in India and in South Africa and Latin America. So, A, just trying to find a time that's convenient to speak to everyone was a challenge. I think there was like a half an hour each day where someone's evening or morning wasn't being completely ruined, right? Because you don't want to force people to be calling in at midnight or something from from Australia. So, I think it's, at the end of the day, it's putting in the blood, sweat, and tears to build the trust with your team and those open lines of communication. And I think, you know, communicate, communicate, communicate. So, it was a matter of, you know, being... And not that I was always perfect at it, but trying to stick as much as you can to your, your one-to-ones with your leaders in those areas. You've got to keep, they, ha- they have to keep that lifeline to you. Cause having been a person, when I moved over to Europe to start regional marketing there for Amdocs, I was on my own in France from a marketing perspective. There was no one else. And you can feel a little bit like you're on an island because it's not a marketing team to go walk down the hallway or have lunch with and, you know, share, you know, what worked or what didn't. So you're your lifeline back to them. You don't want them to feel like an island out there. Um, make sure that you're building a lot of rapport and trust with the regional leaders in those global pockets, whether it's the sales division presidents and their teams or other marketing. Well, there weren't other marketing folks at the time, HR folks, the partner folks, the delivery folks, so that they know what your team's role is in the organization, that they're adopting them as kind of part of their family so that when they're not tied into the rest of their marketing hub they feel like they're a part of a greater collective and and uh and mission and vision and you know taking the time to go and see people so it means you know if you're have family or whatever it's not easy because you're flying across time zones takes like a week or so away from your family but make an effort to go and see your people out in the regions but also the other stakeholder groups so that you're, you're getting a bit of a, a community feel despite the geographic separation yeah, and making sure that they stay plugged into what the vision is. Very easy. Having been a consultant, having been kind of out on your own there, 
it can be very easy to get set adrift a little bit and forget that you know you're trying you're contributing to a larger vision so using those opportunities to reinforce you know why we're all here and what we're trying to do and but it's definitely not always easy no. a lot of conference calls go sorry i can't hear you i'm on a mobile phone in the middle of you know the australian outback or something like that but uh well, yeah well it's, it's we made it work <laughs> no i mean I, that's great and that's awesome but to me it's really mind-boggling in terms of just 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 the numbers of the headcount that that you're overseeing so can you give us a little a sneak peek in terms of i mean outside of the endless phone calls i'm sure you did but were you traveling a lot like at the time when because you from what you were saying it's really being there and making sure that you're not alone. We're all here. We're all a big team. So to me, I imagine you were traveling quite a bit. There, were, there was a fair bit uh, for sure. It's definitely, if you ask my wife and kids, they'll tell you that there was a, a lot of travel. And uh, yeah, it was every month you were probably doing something. Uh, but you kind of know that when you're signing up for the gig. And I, ha- I did see other leaders or other team members. If you're not, and you have to also align with what is your budget within the company, and you know. If you, you can't always travel because it's just not sustainable from an expense perspective. So you have to find other opportunities to get on video or, or phone calls and just sure. have to augment. So I think it was important to find, find some anchor ways to do the travel and physically be with your team, but also your stakeholder groups so that your team can be successful, but augment that with the phone and the conference calls and the video, et cetera. And we tried to tap into other events where people already were going to be. So if there was a sales kickoff, Mobile World Congress was a big event that we always did every year where the whole telecom world comes together in Barcelona. Um, set up team meetings while you're there. Um, if somebody's having a regional meeting. So you, you kind of try to piggyback up where other, where other expenses were already being spent and then try to augment that with, you know, going out to see your folks. But yeah, it was a fair bit of travel. Wasn't, uh, wasn't always easy, but, it, but I do love, I did have the fortune to live overseas. I think it shaped a lot of who I am and ha- helps you, uh, be flexible and adaptable, you know, living and working with other cultures and, and realizing there's a big wide world out there and it's a super exciting one. Um, and I do, I do like seeing the world. So it was nice to be able to. It's a great opportunity. Like, yeah. As, as part of your career. You experienced two acquisitions and post merger integration. So looking back, what was the most difficult part of merging two separate organizations and what would you do differently now? I think the difficult part, it's tricky. You know, we've actually just done a few here at Sage as well. Uh, with Intact recently and with Fairsale not so long ago. So, and it's a company built off of a lot of acquisitions. I think it's in the execution. So I think the, uh, the challenge is it's very easy to announce you're doing an acquisition, to have town halls and talk to people and say all the right things. That's a very easy, not easy, but that is step one. But, uh, post-merger integration, the integration from an operational perspective is really the devil's in the details there. Um, so it's, Hard to always point to ones that have gone super smoothly. Um, the ones I've seen have been pretty good and the ones that Sage are going very well. Um, I think to do differently or the, to, to build upon would to be from the time that, you know, you're generating a lead to you're doing a quote, to you're putting in a sales order, to you're delivering a service, to you're billing it, to you're supporting it and around, around that stroke you go and build those use cases and almost walk the various stakeholders through those use cases so everybody knows what they're accountable for what their role is either in the acquiree or the home company that the uh, company being acquired is going into know where you play you know who's accountable who needs to be informed etc the whole racy concept um and make sure everybody's communicate 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 to make sure everybody knows how it's going to work because otherwise you go in and then day two people are 
swirling around their chair going, I'm not sure what happens next and nobody seems to know. And that's when, you know, the whole objective of the acquisition can start to fall by the wayside because you're not getting the market as quickly as you hoped or the growth isn't coming from what you were hoping to achieve through the acquisition in the first place. So, and most, most business leaders, executives, entrepreneurs, they talk a lot about reading mm -hmm. um, just to self-learn or maybe even just to escape and try to get gather inspiration from anything else. So I'm really curious, is there anything that you're reading right now or are there books that, that you're looking to looking at right now? Yeah, actually, I just got back from holidays, so I was doing a bit of, a bit of lighter reading on holidays. And uh, <laughs> I love historical fiction. Okay. I just, I'm interested in history. Um, you can learn a lot from history. I don't, I'm not one who looks in the rearview mirror. I like to look firmly ahead, but you can take a lot of learnings from whether it's a project at work. Wow, that didn't go so well. Do we do differently? Or to your question of, you know, mergers and acquisitions. But there's an author, Bernard Cornwell, who does a lot of historical fiction. So I've been reading some of his books on uh, England, how England got formed as a nation, but nation before it was really England as we know it today. It was Danes and Saxons, and then there were Scots coming in and Irish. And they do it in a fun kind of fiction way, but it's all based on historical fact. And he writes a lot of great books, and those are those are fun to read to give you some perspective. But from a more businessy perspective, I just started reading the, uh, the Power of Mathematical Thinking by Jordan Ellenberg, and um, it's really really interesting. I'm not all the way through it yet. But I think, and I, and I grew into it a little bit. Math and data is so, so interesting, but so important. You know, at the end of the day, numbers can can make the world go round. It's how you, you know, figure out the the math behind building a building that stands up properly. On how you know, make sure that you know you really are driving a profitable business. Um, so people need to understand how numbers work. Uh, the secret of the truth often lies within data. You know, go do. Data-driven decision-making, but you, sometimes you have to go with feel and go with gut. But, you know, if you're basing it off a firm understanding of data, you'll always drive a great opportunity for growth. And I think people need to understand how those things work because often people who are good with numbers can misconstrue them or use them to their own advantage as well. So, I can give you a number. I can say I grew by a 1,000%, but 1,000% of what, from where, and what product. Like, if you do the 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 uh, critical thinking of behind those numbers, I think people can really understand how things are working and really kind of get together to, to drive you better results. So it's a really interesting start to this book on uh, how he approaches, I can dissect problems and make it a math problem at the end of the day. So it's a, it's a really cool book. It's on Bill Gates top 10 list as well. So is, is that where you found it? No, I was actually, uh, yeah, I was looking for good, uh, good books to read. And uh, yeah, I saw it on his list. I think it was on Warren Buffett's list as well. If I were to ask any of your team, colleagues, peers, what's the best leadership quality that Paul has? What do you think they would say? Yeah, it's kind of a it's a interesting question to answer, an awkward one to try to answer. I mean, even though we are here kind of talking about things I might have done or leadership examples, it's uh, always difficult to talk about yourself. But um, I would hope that people think that, uh, you know, we're having a lot of fun doing what we're doing, that uh, – I'm pretty open that as often as possible, I'm, you know, I'm following through. Sometimes your plans aren't, don't, don't always manifest themselves as quickly as you would like for other reasons. But, um, yeah, I want to make sure that we're an open, authentic, transparent team. Um, we have an expression we'll be using, using the Olympic theme as well. There was the uh, skeleton, John Montgomery, who won the gold medal on skeleton in Vancouver. And he had this great quote, actually, which takes a lot of discipline to, to get to that level. Just have fun and get her done. Um so I hope that people think that we're just we're getting things done, we're having fun doing it, we're being real with each other, 
we're not tolerating a lot of BS. Uh, we're going to hit issues head on and we're just going to, we're just going to have fun and get her done and, uh, for that gold medal. And I hope that's what people say. Having a blast, learning a lot, and really enjoying the location of the new stage <laughs> office. It's great here. But I'd love to get, uh, Paul, some of your final thoughts, observations, I- ideally some actionable recommendations that you could share to-, to the listeners who are looking to be a business leader or they're growing and, and they just and they just need to move forward. Yeah, I think some of it I probably touched on throughout our discussion here, but uh, be authentic. I think that's really what resonates. And the only way to be authentic is to be yourself. So often I think people will maybe listen to a podcast or read a book or try to emulate or, or become someone they're not. You can see it sometimes in presentations too. If someone's trying to present not in line with their own style, it just doesn't come across as well. Mm-hmm. So be yourself. And I think for all of us, all of us are probably trying to be the best version of ourselves every day. So if you're going to be yourself and tap into always getting better and always trying to improve for your team, for everyone else. And the team always has to be first. Absolutely. Then you're going to be authentic. Um, trust, uh, building trust without that, everything is lost. I mean, with your customers, with your partners, with the people that work for you, with you, above you, wherever it might be in an organization, you got to have trust, passion and motivation. We touched on it earlier. I think you got to bring passion. You got to believe what you're doing is the most important thing in the world and bring a lot of passion. People will feed off of that. You lead by example with that passion, but then we're back to what we talked about earlier. You have to follow through on it. It's one thing to be passionate and rah-rah, uh, but if you're not following through with you know helping your team with what they need or driving the results that are needed, then it's going to kind of fall flat and you'll start to, to lose some of your followers. And uh, so, yeah, be passionate everything you do. I think, you know, operate with integrity, operate with a sense of urgency, uh, be positive, uh, be ambitious in a positive way. And there was one thought, two more thoughts to leave you with relationships. I think I was look back to, to one thing. Um, relationships are key. And I mean, at every level, get to know every level of your, your team. I had some early, early managers who were not part of my, uh, leadership inspiration who would suggest that perhaps you shouldn't, you know, go and, and meet with your team members or socialize with your team. And I'm definitely not a believer in that. I think, you know, you build trust by getting to know who it is you're going to battle with every day. We're all human beings at the end of the day. And it's so important to understand what makes everyone tick. You're going to get a lot of um, indirect mentoring that way too. You're going to learn from a lot of other people. You're going to end up recruiting mentors just by spending time with people. So put in the time to get to know people, have lunch with them, go travel to see them, go walk around the floor, get to know who they are. And uh, last last thing to leave with is be brave. I think just be brave in everything you do. It's not always going to work out exactly as you planned. Um, but if you're someone that's up for wanting to be a leader to drive change, you're going to have to be brave. And frankly, that's where all the fun is. And uh, nothing nothing good gets done from the sidelines. Oh, that's great. Thank you, for, thank you for those. And thank you for sharing that. So to close, Paul, please tell us where we could find more information about you. Sage Canada, the Invictus Games, or any any type of other events that uh, that you'll be part of. Sure, uh, Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter, so at Struthers Paul, uh, you can find me there on, on my Twitter feed, um, on LinkedIn as well. Paul Struthers on LinkedIn, you can find me. Probably pretty pretty easy. On Sage.com, we have all the information you'd uh, you'd ever want to know there. We have constantly posting lots of business advice there as well, so it's not just a normal website. There's lots of advice for you know startups and business uh, builders out there as well. 
uh, yeah, those are some of the best avenues, I think, to, to learn more about Sage and, and myself. Thank you again for your time, Paul, for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you for listening to episode 30 of the Business Leadership Podcast with Paul Struthers. It was great hearing Paul's stories on transitioning from Amdocs to Sage, his consulting career, and how he leads his teams. To learn more about Paul, Sage Canada, and anything you heard on the podcast, please visit the episode webpage at thebusinessleadership.com slash 030. Thank you for all the messages. I appreciate all the comments, questions, and of course, all the suggestions. So as always, feel free to contact me directly via email to edwin at thebusinessleadership.com. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you again, and until next time, Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com.